The stages of rehabilitation can be used to inform survivors, family, friends, and communities after challenging events. The focus and language is different depending upon each group, but the pathway is the same. I want to identify and provide a brief description of the stages, not as a means of advice, but to provide insights and ideas gained by stories of individuals who experience tough and challenging events. Each guest is in a specific stage, so listen, see if you can identify what they did and are doing to move forward in their healing and recovery process. Stage five, reintegration. You adapted, adjusted, and now have some understanding of what the critical event meant. Use your traction and move forward continually focusing on what you can do. Take what you have, what you learn, and move into a productive life. Find something to do. Sometimes you can't go back to what you had before the event, but you can do something. Find a purpose, get back into life. Just before 2.50 p.m., this is the viewpoint seen by many of the 26,000 marathon runners who are approaching the finish line. The first of the two explosions rocks the sidewalk along the course. White smoke blasting into the air, blowing metal barricades into the street, spewing shrapnel into crowds gathered at the finish. Dave McGilvery was the race director that day and responsible to make sure something positive could come out of such a tragedy. Today on Sliver of Hope, the podcast series on post-traumatic growth, Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn talks with Dave about stage five reintegration in our series focusing on guiding survivors towards growth after trauma through Metahab. Find out more at metahab.com. Today, I want to talk to you about not only the traumas that you've gone through even as an athlete, but obviously, and most importantly, what you endured during the Boston Marathon bombings. The focus of our conversation is going to be, what did it take to come back? You had to re-enter into life. And mm -hmm. so from when you've had injuries as an athlete, when you went through the events, highly profiled event at the Boston Marathon, I want you to talk a little bit about the mindset of coming back, what you were worried about, what it took. Okay, well, regarding the 2013 Boston Marathon, of course, uh, that was a tragic day for so many people uh, who were profoundly impacted by uh, what happened at the finish line. Um, I think the immediate reaction, obviously, was to... Um, Take care of those people who were physically hurt and um we were i suppose fortunate that where it happened was right at the finish line where our major uh, medical facility is located so there were no fewer than maybe 1,000 first responders right there at the ready and were able to respond right away um the next day was interesting because there was a a reaction by some questioning whether or not, given the occurrence of uh, the bombing, whether or not they wanted to ever come back to this particular race again. But that was really short-lived. Um, I think that was more of a knee-jerk reaction. And 
um, within hours, it seemed, there were people contacting us from all over the world saying, we will not be denied our freedom. We will not be denied our running freedom. And uh, we're coming back next year and we're taking back that finish line in Boylston Street. And so just the opposite happened. Well, you know, I remember when we've had a conversation before, too, and I love this idea about the acute and what happens right afterwards. And then when you get a chance to start thinking things through and making and assessing the situation, then you had to come back and you did come back the next year. And what happened or how did you finally make that decision? And were there any specific things you thought about that were unique in putting on the next Boston Marathon after that? Sure. Um, I look at it as three stages. Um, The initial stage was sort of recovery, response, um, you know, just taking care of those who were impacted. And we really weren't giving the following year much thought. Initially, what happens is right after um, a, a race, we we convene and do after-action reports. We do critiques. We do post-race observation meetings. Um, a lot of that goes on within the next two or three weeks. We did none of that. There was no post-race mortem whatsoever. It was just focused on recovery. After a while, after that had subsided, you know, the, unfortunately, the wakes, the funerals, um, just uh, the feds giving us the finish line back and finishing up our, our cleanup. Um, then we, we had to then begin to respond to the overwhelming response of people from all over the world um, expressing their, you know, their support, their concern, but even more so their desire to come to Boston and show those people perpetrated this um, that um, they they messed with the wrong crowd. I want to know also what was going on in your head while this was happening? What was what was happening with you personally with this? Because you are the race director and yeah. this is your race. Well, interestingly, it's a really good question. Um, for me, as one of, uh, not the only, but one of um, a number of sort of leaders or directors of, of the uh, enterprise, um, I tried to force myself to stay focused on the business at hand. Um, certainly, I was emotional. Certainly, um, I was concerned about you know those who were impacted. But at the same time, um, you need to also keep keep the ship afloat, and you need to be responsive to a lot of other people who had concerns and questions, like our constituency, the runners. Um, there were 6,500 of them that were stopped a mile out from the finish line. Um, we felt it was our responsibility to focus on them, too, and to give them answers or give them direction. So I guess the point being is, I had my game face on and I was focused on that versus what a lot of other people were focused on. And that was um, 
again, the healing and the recovery. Um, and then immediately, you know, once a period of time had gone by, um, the daunting prospect of what the 2014 race would actually consist of was absolutely overwhelming, um, both from the perspective of, um, you know, how are we going to manage all this interest? I mean, it was it was wonderful that people wanted to come and wanted to contribute in, at some level, but we knew we couldn't do it all. So we had to sort of wait it out a little bit. Then we had to sort of harness all that. And then we had to conceptualize what 2014 would look like um, what was within our bandwidth? I mean, you got to yeah. remember this. Yes. This race yes. was started a hundred years ago, so we can only yes. do so much on the road to Boston. Right. So we're talking about a year period. Was that like when did you actually start the planning for 2014? When was that six months out, and was that delayed as a result of what happened in 2013? Absolutely. Um, it was almost like starting over again. This was almost my 28th year of doing this and it felt like the 2014 planning was my first year um, of doing it because you ha you have to understand that we didn't even know what it what it would be, what what it would look like, um, how many pieces of it would exist, how many new um, sort of peripheral and ancillary events, tribute runs and and just all of that. Um, it was it going to be the pursuit of athletic excellence as it's always been, or was it going to be more focused on on hailing and, and a tribute to those who um, you know, first responders and others who who were heroic on that day? Or is it a combination of both? Right. And then on top of all of that big unknown was security and at what level would it go to and were we being were going to be required to build our event around security or was security going to build what they were going to do around our event and right. that was always an, an unknown for a, a a long period of time. So it was tough to us to make any progress when we weren't even sure exactly what we were going to be allowed to do and not to do. Right. And, you know, Dave, this fits in so precisely well with thinking about a personal trauma, because exactly what you said, when somebody goes through a traumatic experience, things do fall apart. Life isn't the same. And you are picking up the pieces and going, wait a second, wh what am I going to do? And I think you allude to, well, we decided the race was going to go on. How that was all going to happen, it sort of evolved. Yeah, it took time and it took a lot of meetings and it took um, us to inspect what our parameters were and our limitations and our resources and Again, so many different ideas and suggestions came to the table, but we knew we weren't capable of doing all of them. So we had to prioritize and sort of step back and say, what, what is of importance to us? What's a priority? And focus on those and let the others, others actually 
we have to let him go because we just couldn't do it all. So, so yeah, so there was a new normal right. and we had right. to get used to that right. because, um, you know, we approached things for years and years and years a certain way. And now that all changed in a, in a moment's notice. Right. And again, I think people go through that as well. As I put in the stages of MetaHab, people go through something, they have to stop for a while. They have to actually think about things. They have to figure what's going to happen. And then, as you did, you got back into life. What happened even with the marathons after that now? Well, you know, 2014, um, as it played out, was epic. I, I can't, there's no better word to describe it. Um, <clears throat> I saw more spectators out on the course. There had to be at least a million. But but they were doing something very different. Um, in the past, they were standing there, cheering, clapping, yelling. This time, they were holding signs and disclaiming certain things like, we will not be denied or you know, we're taking back our finish line. And it was it was a pretty strong emotional rally um, around the race itself. And normally when a tragedy occurs, you know, say something like a 9-11, um, you know, there's no other, it's not an annual event that occurs mm -hmm. that where people would come back to and be exposed to that feeling again with the marathon you know, we're coming back and we're we're at the same location where the bombings occurred and how are people going to uh, deal with that? And are they going to stand in the exact same spot again where the bombs went off, even though we have such a higher level of security? So there was a lot of unknowns. But it, as again, as it all played out, it, it turned out to be a glorious day, a great tribute, um, a, a great recovery and American wins. Um, it, right. You couldn't have written a better it's script. Gonna say it's scripted pretty well. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, then we had 2015 and 2016 and 2017. Yeah. And again, um, I think, you know, we were having significant a demand of people wanting to come to Boston and run um, just again to, to sort of create a sense of solidarity right. that they weren't coming just to run in the Boston Marathon. They were coming to make a statement. And so that has continued um, throughout the last four or five years. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because you have been the race director for so many years and you were able to see kind of what the race was like prior to this. I'm sure there's a little bit of a before and an after that so now that also time has gone on and you've had multiple races after have you seen as a race director and also you personally how the race has been you alluded to this a little bit but how the race has been thought about how people um embrace it for different reasons now than they did before absolutely yeah again our race obviously the oldest um, continuous marathon in the world, um, you know, 122 years, um, you know, it's been the crown jewel, the Holy grail, you know, it's the Kentucky Derby world series, super bowl, all rolled into one for runners from around the world. It's the bucket list event, but it was always about the pursuit of athletic excellence. It was all about the competition. It was all about qualifying 
and the the bragging rights you get that you know you made it to the promised land athletically but then that changed somewhat in 2013 it wasn't just about qualifying to participate as a um, top level athlete in this particular discipline but it was about a celebration of community and about about you know again never forgetting uh, those who were victimized um, again you, you had so many people who were physically hurt uh, on that day but there were so many more emotionally hurt and mentally hurt who might not have even been there but experienced it you know virtually if you will and were impacted by it and they've always felt that they need to come to Boston to sort of help uh, in their own personal healing. Right. So again, I just keep seeing things moving through and as the community moving through into this and re making this not a separate thing from their life, but integrating it into their life as it's like part of their infrastructure now. They see it's part of their lenses that they see the world through. So you got back into it. You made it happen. That's great. I do want to pull you back into some of your personal story, which is compelling and interesting. And I'm going to, you were talking about high level pursuits, excellence. Well, I would attribute that to you in your own personal athletic endeavors. And I know that you have reached some very high levels. I want you to talk about the number of marathons you did in seven days on seven continents. Talk about that. And now you're probably facing one of the biggest athletic events you're going to attribute, and that's your upcoming surgery. So I'm going to let you talk mm -hmm. about that for a while. Well, for me, ever since I was a young boy, I had this desire to uh, always want to be an athlete. But because of my short stature, we'll call it, um, it just became increasingly um, obvious to me that the chances of playing second base for the Boston Red Sox, our guard for the Boston Celtics, our quarterback for the New England Patriots was probably um, going to remain a dream and not a reality. So I didn't want to give up the concept of wanting to be an athlete. So I chose another path. And that's why I started running because you didn't have to be picked and you didn't get cut. You just went out and ran. And I used um, running as my way of, of um, you know, being athletic. And then I started setting all these personal um, running uh, goals. And I ran across the United States from Medford, Oregon to Medford, Massachusetts in 1978, finishing in Fenway Park in front of 32,000 people and combining my athleticism with philanthropy and raising money for cancer research and and then I continued to set goals like that for the rest of my life, running up the East Coast of America, doing the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii nine times, or, or running my age on my birthday every single year, or you know, doing a 24-hour run and a 24-hour bike ride once, and 24-hour swim in a pool and raising money for worthwhile causes. And, and then just most recently doing that seven marathons in seven days on seven continents, which is called the World Marathon Challenge. So... For me, I've always been just challenged um, because of 
the fact that when I was younger, I was told, you know, I, I couldn't, couldn't make the team. And it was all about rejection for me at the time. And, you know, I've always felt there's three types of pains. There's emotional, there's physical, and there's mental. I can deal with mental and I can deal with physical, but emotional pain was the toughest of all three. Mm-hmm. And I said, the only way I'm going to get around it is by yeah. choosing another path and, yeah. and, you know, continuing to, to pursue my, my, my dreams and my desires. And that's what I've been doing my entire life. So you really can see how through all these events, there's a couple of things that really stick out. First of all, people who have done well after this find a purpose and a way to give back. So through all your physical, emotional, mental pain, you found a way to give back. The other thing is, it sounds like you really grew. You grew emotionally, obviously physically, because you got stronger, and mentally as a result of going through these events as well. Interestingly, I when I got um, cut from the basketball team in high school, um, I went home that night and I put a sign over my bed and the sign said, please God, make me grow. And, you know, as I look back in retrospect, I said, well, he didn't make me grow physically. He didn't answer my prayer in that regard, but he did answer my prayer because he made me grow in so many other ways. He made me grow morally and ethically and spiritually and intellectually and mentally. And he made me grow internally. And that's really where it's all happening for us. It isn't who you are physically, it's who you are internally. And I grab that and and that's what makes me stronger from day to day is who I am inside, not who I am outside. Well, and one of the things I talk about with people is looking at the traumatic event as being the precise vehicle for growth and development and saying they didn't grow in spite of whatever trauma, whether that's being cut from the basketball team or whatever, you grew as a direct result of going through that. So Mm -hmm. as we're talking about that, go into the next phase here where you're going to be entering into you're having a surgical procedure. Um, About five years ago, as I was running, I could feel some difficulty in my chest, you know, discomfort. And long story short, you know, I had all these tests done at the Mass General Hospital and they did echocardiograms and stress tests and KGs and they said, hey, you know, uh, we don't see anything here. There's nothing wrong with you. I said, yes, there is something wrong with me. I can't breathe when I'm running. And I said, you, you got to give me the big boy test. You know, you got to look under the hood here. And so they did a CAT scan and eventually an angiogram and they saw all this, um, you know, coronary artery disease and they said you have severe coronary artery disease and I you know I I knew I had something wrong I just didn't know what it was and I said how can I have that I've run 150,000 miles I've run across the country twice I've done this and I've done that you know I recognized it was it was twofold one was it was genetics and two it was self-inflicted I always felt as an athlete an endurance athlete that you know if you know if if the furnace is hot enough, it'll burn. You know, in other words, you know, if I, I went out and ran 20 miles, I could come home and eat whatever I wanted because it was a reward for my, <laughs> for my efforts. And yes, I and then I finally that. realized, yeah. yeah, after 60 years of life almost, that the most important lesson I've learned in my entire life physiologically is that 
just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. I thought it did. I thought it did. And so, you know, I turned to the doctor and I said, I have one question to ask you. And he said, what? I said, is this reversible? And he said, well, it depends. I said, depends on what? He said, depends on the person. I said, well, you're looking at them like with me. Can I, can I reverse this? And he says, with your discipline, perhaps. And I said, well, sign me up. And so I went on a tear for the next five years and I changed everything, every stress in my life. I changed sleep habits. I changed my diet. I changed the way I ate, not just what I ate. And in a matter of less than a year, I reversed my coronary artery disease by over 40%. And um, the doctors were like, whoa, you know, we've never seen this happen in anybody. And I went back to Hawaii and did the Ironman again for the first time in 25 years. So I thought I beat it. And I thought, okay, I can't change the genetic part, but I can change the part that was self-inflicted. Um, and roll the cameras ahead five years, and I did the World Marathon Challenge in February, and then I got home, and in March, I could feel that discomfort coming back again. And I said, what the heck is this? I thought I beat this, and went back in for all these tests, pulmonary tests and heart tests, and finally did another angiogram, and they said, well, the good news is you did reverse certain you know, blockages in your arteries, but there's one main one that uh, unfortunately wasn't impacted. In fact, it got worse. And now you have to make a big decision in your life, you know, whether or not you want to right. not do anything and live a sedentary life or right. whether you want to try to stent it, which maybe you shouldn't because it's very risky in a, in a tough right. location or bypass. Yeah. So here I am a, a week from right now that I'm facing bypass surgery. Well, and I think one of the uh, when we were talking back and forth before this interview, you said, I guess you can't outrun your genes. And, and you did a very good job of it. You did a very good job of it. Well, I cannot thank you enough for spending your time and sharing your insights and your wisdom. And of course, please take all our best wishes and our best hopes. And I'm sure there's been a lot of uh, a lot of things that you've beaten before, and this is just another one, another one on that list. So thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate your time. Well, one last thing, I turned to my heart surgeon and I said to him, "There's this little race in April in Boston. I'd like to kind of <laughs> shuffle right. through." And I got six months between now and then. What do you think? And he looked at me and he said the most poignant thing that anyone has said to me so far. He looked at me and he didn't say yes and he didn't say no, but he said, I'd be extremely disappointed if you couldn't. Oh, so I grabbed that one. I'm hanging on to that one. There you go. And then, and again, this just goes to your mindset around this. Is like Because I remember you saying, yeah, I have to get the surgery now in October because I got to run the Boston again. Boston Marathon. Because you run it every single year. Well, that is just awesome. Thanks so much, Thank Dave. Don't miss our next podcast, Stage 6, Taking on the Future with Damon West, a notorious burglar who turned his life around. Learn more about post-traumatic growth through metahabilitation and about Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn by visiting metahab.com. You'll also be able to order Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn's book, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. Sliver of Hope, the podcast series on post-traumatic growth, is presented by Metahab and a production of Multipoint Content Strategies. If you'd like to contribute either your personal story or the story of someone you know, please email a brief description of your story to mystory at metahab.com. Thanks for listening.
The purpose of this podcast is to provide a general discussion of the topic presented, which may or may not apply to the individual listener. It is not intended to provide and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor, therapist, mental health professional, or other qualified medical professional. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the interviewer or guest.